0: You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. is 13 reading from verse 1 So Abram went up from Egypt he and his wife and all that he had and Lot with him into the Negev Now Abram was very rich in livestock in silver and in gold And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen The shepherds of Lot's livestock. At that time the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you, and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which were at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Well, may the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word to us this morning. Well, the Apostle Paul in Romans 15, verse 4, says this, says, speaking of the scriptures, that whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And so the scriptures, as we read of Abram, as we are back in the book of Genesis, these things are written for our encouragement and for our hope, for our endurance. As we see, Abram was given this great promise. And then as we see uh, how long he had to wait and how many obstacles there were before he comes to receive and come into the good of that promise, we see how long he had to trust the Lord. We are then encouraged to endure as we in Christ receive precious promises and then have to wait and then have to watch and then have to wonder how these promises are going to work out, whether that's in our own lives, our own situation, or whether that's in the nations of the world around us. So this passage is part of what is given for our encouragement, for your encouragement in Christ that you might have hope Well, the text breaks into, well, I've broken it into four paragraphs. Um, In the first paragraph, we see Abram's faith, really, as he returns from the land of Egypt and then moves up to call upon the name of the Lord. We see that in verses 1 to 4. And secondly, we are introduced to this problem that he faces, this strife, which breaks out with Lot in verses 5 to 7. And then thirdly, we see uh, just this paragraph which tells us of Abram's faith uh, in action, really, as he makes this generous offer to Lot. And we see Lot's choice, this separation between Abram and Lot. And uh, Lot separates himself from Abram and chooses the land to the east, um, And then this final paragraph, the Lord, as Abram's left on his own and Lot has sort of moved off stage, the final paragraph is about the Lord uh, reiterating his promise to Abram uh, that him and his offspring would inherit the land. Uh, And so we see there Abram's faith as he moves out at the end in obedience to God. So it's all about God's promise to Abram and Abraham trusting in that promise. So first we see simply Abram's faith. He returns uh, to the land from Egypt and calls upon the name of the Lord, verses 1 to 4. So he goes up from Egypt, he and his wife, all that he had, and Lot with him. Lot, who had been with him in Egypt, who'd come from Ur of the Chaldeans, is going to to feature in the next, uh, in this chapter 13 and chapter 14, uh, and then later in chapter 18, And 19. So we're reintroduced to Lot here who becomes important as we move through. And he comes uh, to the Negev, that is the the southern south of Israel, uh, the the desert land to the south. And the word Negev uh, was the word they used for south. Um, And so there in the south of Israel in in the desert. So they come up there Uh, and him and his wife, and all that he had. And now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. They had, as you remember, they'd plundered the Egyptians and been brought out with uh, livestock and people and silver and gold. And so he's coming up, traveling up uh, with this great procession, hundreds of people, donkeys, servants, camels, traveling up into the Negev. And verse three, he journeys on from there, as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place he'd made an altar at first. So this site had been mentioned in chapter 12, verse 8. And Bethel and Ai, they were fortified Canaanite cities. Uh, Bethel was a crossroads, a strategic height uh, in a a high place there and was used as a a strategic site sort of throughout the really, in the the Six-Day War, it was still used there by by the the military, so it's a strategic site there, Bethel, Um, but Abram here, he's building an altar on a a high place on a mountain between these two sites, and there's various discussions as to to where AI actually is is quite located, but he is up there, um, and this has got sort of important symbolic significance, really, there's Abram, and there, are, on the one side is a fortified Canaanite city, and on another side is a fortified Canaanite city. And he is up in a high place calling on the name of the Lord, offering sacrifices, offering praise to the Lord. And that is just, it, it points really to, in Abram's life to um, the importance of worship. Here is Abram gathering his large household with him, his servants and so on, for prayer, for thanksgiving, for making sacrifices according to the Lord's instructions. So here is Abraham, he returns, and he's worshipping. Now, he's, he's been given the land, but the land is occupied. It's filled with enemies, filled with the Canaanites and the Perizzites, and yet he comes up and he worships before the Lord. Um, and it's just, that is just the, the, the pattern in Scripture, uh, is that just the, the priority of God establishing worship and that before there's any conquest of the land, uh, the importance of the people gathering together to worship the Lord. We see that, see that in the, the Battle of Jericho, those strange details where they come in and actually there's this procession and this worship before they take uh, the land. So here is Abram. God is laying claim to the land in this spiritual um, act of, of, of worship. And that reminds us of the priority for, for worship as we gather Uh, As we gather together, we draw near to call upon the name of the Lord. That was our call for worship. We gather together to worship God, to call upon his name. Before we try and attempt to do anything as a church, before we try and attempt to run a Hope Explored course or do evangelism or whatever else we're doing, um, the first thing that we need to have done is to gather together week by week to worship the Lord, to give thanks to him, to praise his name, to to remember his goodness, to bring our worship before him. to to celebrate the Lord's Supper as we remember uh, God's mighty act of redemption in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our act as we draw together to worship God. And it is from there that the the Lord acts and moves and God blesses his people. So we see, I think, here the priority of worship as Abram goes into the land. And so um, we see... um, he comes to this uh, problem in verses five to seven. Psalm 131 reminds us of how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Uh, Well, here between uh, Abram and Lot, the the herdsmen, there is disunity and strife. And this seems to arise from the great blessings that they've received, their riches that they've been loaded down with, their households have increased and the land uh, cannot support them. And we're told that there is strife between the herdsmen, between the shepherds, verse seven. And later on, as you read the book of Genesis, you see there's competition over resources, there's competition over water supply and and that sort of thing. And here there is this strife, and perhaps Lot um, cannot live peaceably under the the government of of Abram. We don't quite know what's going on between them, but it seems to be at least there's this competition over resources. And then we're reminded that there are Canaanites and Perizzites also dwelling in the land, which suggests further competition for resources or pressure. And so I think this is just helpful to to build up the picture of actually the situation that Abram was actually in when God called him to the land. God called him to leave everything and go to the land, and he took this great step of faith, he went with all the promises of God, and when he gets there, he's actually in this situation of really great difficulty on every side. I think it's easy for us and I think I've tended to have a a rather romantic view of Abram walking through the land with flocks and herds and looking up at the stars and thinking of the promises of God and going on sort of waiting for a kid and that sort of thing. Actually, when you look at the text closely, he was in great difficulty on every side. He looked to one side and there was a fortified Canaanite city. And on the other side, there was a, a, another one. And uh, there, there's competition over resources. There's these internal disputes within his own household. He faced really great difficulties. And, and I think as we move next week, we see uh, there's the Genesis 14 tells of the, the great battles that he's involved in. And we find out that there's these 318 trained men in his household... And we just think about um, the kind of world it was. It was a hard scrabble world. It was just a difficult, dangerous place. He needed an armed guard. If you're going to have flocks and herds, there are bandits everywhere. There are marauding bands of of thieves and people who are gonna come and take your household and drag drag people away. These were difficult times. And it's hard for us to to recreate that that sense of fear when you live in, in, in a land like ours where we have police stations at the corners and the rule of law and, and all this sort of thing and, and relative peace and security. It's hard for us to really to get a sense of the danger and the difficulty that Abram had and that he faced. And so that, I think it's just a, a good reminder for us of the life of faith that it's a life that God gives us these great promises, but people live out the life of faith through very dangerous and difficult situations. And don't we see that at the world in the moment as we think of uh, believers, uh, brothers and sisters around the world facing great difficulty, having to flee for their lives or uh, imprisoned in different places. The life of faith is filled with pressure and difficulty. And perhaps you, you feel some of that yourself. Well, if you do feel that pressure and difficulty, you should not think that anything strange is happening to you, but look to the God of Abraham. Look to the one who said to Abram, uh, do not fear, I'm your shield, your reward will be very great in the next chapter. And so we come to this, this division between Abram um, and Lot, And I think this this dispute, I think it really um, comes down to in the wider narrative, the the question about who is going to be the promised heir. So Lot is uh, Abram's nephew, but uh, his father has has died, and so Lot really has been brought into Abram's family. So in terms of the question of who's going to be Abram's heir, Lot is the obvious candidate. So it seems, remember Abram's wife is barren, she cannot have children, and so it seems, okay, the promise is likely to come about through Lot at this stage. Um, He's been given these great promises, and here, okay, here's Lot at least, and so this great conflict and strife, it it really becomes clear through this that Lot is not going to be the promised heir. There's this separation, um, and Abram really acts with great uh, generosity. As we look at, at five to s- verses 5 to 7, Abram um, makes his great generous offer to Lot, and we see Lot's choice to, to sort of separate off. So, Abram here acts, I think, with kingly wisdom. He's exercising a, sort of a judicial function. He doesn't want the strife uh, that is between uh, the shepherds and the herdsmen, to, to boil up and to, to come into further disputes. and So he's exercising wisdom here, and great generosity and faith in God's provision as well. He's, he's saying to the lot, okay, lot, you go first, as it were, verses 8 and 9. You choose if you go um, that way, I'll, I'll go this way. Um, you, um, so he's really trusting in the Lord's promise here to bless him. And so in verse 10, Lot lifts up his eyes and sees the fertile land, the Jordan Valley. And we think of Lot here. And this this description of uh, what Lot is uh, choosing, I think it's intentionally uh, a little bit uh, ambiguous. If you look with me uh, back to verse 10, Lot lifted his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley is well watered everywhere, like the Garden of the Lord. So that looks pretty good. Like the land of Egypt. Um, So the mention of Egypt here, um, Egypt, remember, was was watered by the Nile and irrigated there by by the Nile. So so the land that Lot's looking at was was like that. It was well irrigated. But the the note of Egypt might be a a sort of a, the comparison there, um, Egypt tends to have negative connotations in in the Bible. Um, So there it is in the direction of Zor. Then we have This parenthetical note, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So so the the narrator there alluding to a a story later on in Genesis. So the narrator there expecting us to to know about that, expecting us to have read this far before. So that's um, the the cities of the plain, there's Sodom and Gomorrah there, those um, wicked cities. And so we read verse 11, Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Okay, so he chooses this land, it's within the promised land, it's right on the edge of the promised land, but then we're told um, that he travelled east. And I think it's this last comment that Lot travelled east, which should raise a red flag for us if we've been reading the book of Genesis and sort of noticing how this works. So symbolically in in Genesis, uh, to travel east was to travel away from the presence of the Lord. You may remember back to Cain, um, who went out of the land of Eden and went east of Eden, or the tower builders in Babel built their city and their tower in the east. And so in saying that Lot journeyed east, The writer is saying, Moses is saying that Lot is not only separating himself from Abram geographically, but actually here he's moving away from the Lord. And it's a a bit of a a hint at this point, but as the story carries on, we find Lot progressively moving um, towards the the city of man, towards Sodom and Gomorrah. He's then right by it, and then he comes to live in it. And we'll come on to that. So, here I think we see Lot uh, moving away from the presence of, of the Lord, separating himself. So, Lot is a kind of ambiguous character in Genesis, but we'll have more to say on that in following weeks. So, they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now, the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. <clears throat> And then, verse 14, the Lord reiterates his promise to Abram. Verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. So um, he's calling Abram to um, well, lift up his eyes. And then he says, verse 15, for, the, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. So from the top where he was, near, near Bethel and up, up top in, in the mountains, Abram could look out and he could see the land to the north, to the south, to the east, and then towards the sea, towards the west. So he, would command, he had these commanding views in these different directions. And then the Lord reiterates his promise in verse 15. Um, He said, the Lord says to him, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. Now, did you notice that? Do you notice how he words the promise here? The Lord does not just say, all the land you see, I will give to your offspring forever. Notice what he actually says, to all, all the land I will give to you and your offspring forever. God promises to give the land to Abram himself, to enjoy. Well, did God give the land to Abram? Well, he had a little patch of it, but he didn't have uh, very much of it, just a burial plot. He died awaiting for the fulfillment of that promise. So he spends his whole life, he's waiting for the fulfilment of that promise, he just has the very beginning of it. And as we come to, to the New Testament, this promise of the land gets expanded. And so Romans 4.13, you if you've got a Bible, you might flip over to this verse, actually. Romans 4.13, um, where Paul is speaking about God's promise to Abram, about Abram. says this, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. So it's part of the just broader argument there in the book of Romans, but what is his promise there that he would inherit? That he'd be heir of not the land but the world. And so the promise here to Abraham, uh, Abraham and his offspring is that he would inherit the world, the whole world. And that is the the promise in Christ, that we are to inherit the world. So Abram looks out to see the land in every direction, but he dies waiting for that promise to be fulfilled. And then he's got the promise, not only of the land, but the promise of offspring. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. The dust of the earth, uncountable, like those later promises, like the stars in the sky or the sand in the, uh, on the seashore. So, and yet he didn't have an offspring. There was no son. Now Lot is out of the way. So God's giving him this promise, but his actual reality is that he does not have that which is promised, and he has to trust the Lord. Uh, Then verse 17, God, the Lord says to him, Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Another altar, as he's claiming the whole land, as God is claiming the whole land. And so, Abraham is given the land, which at this point is not in his possession, and he goes to have a look at it. And it said, uh, you should never look a gift horse in the mouth, but uh, he's given this, this land, and he goes to inspect it, to so goes to have a look around the whole uh, land, as if if you were given a, a piece of property or a house, you would sort of go, go and have a look in each room and go and inspect it. This is the house that I will like, one day have. So he goes to have a great uh, a look around at the land that will be given to him and builds this other offspring, uh, builds this other altar to the Lord. So we come to the end of it. So at the end of it, here we have Abram. Worshipping the Lord, but simply just waiting for God's promises to come about. And so we come, come to draw to a close and reflect on, uh, on these things and what they teach us. We just then we see the, just the patience of Abram and his need for faith and his need to trust in God's promises. God makes these great promises of a, of a land and offspring and he doesn't possess the land, It's full of enemies, and he has no offspring. And in fact, by the end of the story, uh, Abram is, humanly speaking, in a worse condition than he was at the beginning of the story. At the beginning, at least he had Lot. At least he was thinking, well, maybe it's through Lot. But then Lot has been moved to, to one side, and Abram is left simply trusting in God's promises. His backup plan, so to speak, has been removed. There is no backup plan and so he's just thrown on to God. And so um, these things are written for our encouragement that we might uh, have hope and scripture uses Abraham as a great example of patient endurance. So in Isaiah 51, these words are given to God's people who are going through a hard time when God's promises seem so far off. The Lord says this to his people in Isaiah 51. Um, It says this, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from which you were hewn. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who gave you birth. When I called him, he was but one. Then I blessed him and multiplied him. For the Lord will comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her wilderness like Eden and her deserts like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and melodious song. Well, it's a call for us isn't it we look to to Abraham we're called to live by faith in God's promises by nature we want to live by sight we want to have a backup plan or another backup plan and to trust in things we can see and touch and we find it difficult to trust in our heavenly father to trust in his provision and sometimes in life we we we, um, it seems that the blessing that we're hoping for is getting further away from us uh, and times of difficulty, we are thrown much more onto God, the God of Abraham, to trust in him. And we see uh, in these Abrahamic narratives and in Genesis, uh, Abram struggling, uh, and Abram and Sarah trying to take shortcuts to God's blessing in different ways. But here we see him simply trusting in the Lord. And so it's a call for us simply to trust in the Lord. Unbelief grasps and grabs and manipulates and manoeuvres and tries to seek blessing um, for itself, uh, but apart from God's law and in disobedience to God's law. But faith trusts and waits. And so to look to Abraham means we need to be willing to wait for God's timing, even when his promised blessing sometimes seems further away uh, than we, we thought it did the year before. We are called to trust and wait for god's timing and for god's blessing and that is a situation there we see with abram simply as we see just the difficulties that he goes through well what about lot what about lot well i'm not going to say too much about Lot because we're going to pick up on him later as the narrative continues but he uh, separates himself from the covenant people of god to some degree at this point and he's moving away from uh, the presence of the Lord, and I think those cities on the plain, it seemed that perhaps life, that seemed easier than the life of faith, perhaps. And so there's warnings bound up in this part of Genesis for us, not to live uh, by sight, but to look to God. And then finally, we just remind ourselves, don't we, of the promise of God, that promise uh, to, um, to Abram that his offspring would be the heir of the world that we saw in Romans four thirteen, and that is the promise that we inherit. Um, God's purpose is that in Christ, we will inherit the world. We often think of heaven as a place of disembodied spirits floating around on, on clouds, but that is not the final end of God's covenant people. We've been re- promised in Christ, the earth restored and renewed. Um, and we see uh, in, Christ, all is ours. We see what um, this is picked up at various points in the New Testament. So, Paul in 2 Corinthians says this when he's in a time of hardship and difficulty, he says, We are treated as impostors. This is 2 Corinthians 6 8 to 10. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. He's talking about what he has in Christ. He has all things in Christ. And if you have Christ, you have all things. And as we worship together uh, this evening, and Lord's Day morning, Lord's Day evening, we are laying claim to all things. The Lord has given us all things. God's purpose is to conquer the world by conquest, by the gospel, by the preaching of the word, and by prayer. Not by a bloody conquest of of wars, and by force of arms, um, but by the word of God and by prayer. And so, um, all things are ours. That's from 1 Corinthians 3, 20 to 23, where the Apostle Paul says this. He says, Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apostle or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or or the present, or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ's is God's. So, may the Lord grant you patience and endurance as you hope in him, as you look to the God of Abram, uh, to trust in him as you face difficulties and pressures um in in this life and as we pray for others who are facing the same let us look to Abram the rock uh, from whom we were cut and look to Sarah and to look to our forefathers in the faith and all that they went through well let us pray together You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterprez.co.uk. For more, thank you.